You're going to love this. Just love it. I don't know if you will or you won't. We'll find out. Could be trouble. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake, also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR in Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us as we try to pull the pieces together uh, today with some breaking news uh, over just the past uh, hour or so. Let me start here. Our friend Ari Berman, uh, democracy reporter and author at Mother Jones, he noted late last week on Twitter, just after Texas's Republican governor, Greg Abbott, called a special emergency session of the uh, state legislature to pass new restrictions on voting in the Lone Star State, he noted that, quote, Greg Abbott did not call a special session after 23 were murdered by white supremacists in by a white supremacist in El Paso or after 700 Texans died earlier this year when the state's power grid failed. Nonetheless, the GOP is now holding a special session to make it harder to vote that after finding only 16 false addresses on registration forms out of 11 million votes cast last year in uh, in the state's 2020 election. Texas, Ari correctly notes in his Twitter thread, is already the hardest state to vote in. The GOP's new voter suppression bill would make it far worse. This, he says, is how voter suppression works in Texas. You can vote with a gun permit, but not with a student ID, even from state-run universities. The state offers no online voter registration. Third-party groups or individuals must be officially deputized by officials in order to even register voters in the state. 
Voters under 65 years of age of age cannot use fear of COVID as an excuse to vote by mail, which means that voters under 65 can't vote by mail at all for virtually any reason in Texas unless they are able to obtain a written excuse from a doctor, for example. And Ari also reminds us 750 polling places have been closed in the state since the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act back in 2013. Closures that almost certainly would have been blocked before the uh, Supreme Court gutted gutted the uh, act since they disproportionately impact racial minorities. Uh, That because, you know, they were allowed to once the court gutted the central portion of the landmark Voting Rights Act. And, of course, all of that was before the court's radical 6-3 opinion just over a week or so ago at the end of this year's term, as we discussed on Friday in uh, very lively, if very maddening, uh, detail with Supreme Court expert Mark Joseph Stern of Slate. If you missed that show, you can download it, if you missed it, at uh, for free at brandblog.com. Uh, We discussed how the radical right-wing activist Republican justices on the high court explicitly ignored both the intent of Congress as detailed in the Voting Rights Act and they ignored the explicit text of the Constitution itself, mandating in plain text that the Congress shall enforce the 15th Amendment to protect minority voters with appropriate legislation. Not the judicial branch, but the Congress, not the judicial branch as activist right wing justices on the Supreme Court legislating from the bench made up new rules for the use of the Voting Rights Act out of whole cloth just over a week ago. Um, it's, it's just incredible to watch. These same people who are pretending that they are constitutional conservatives are out there literally legislating from the bench, writing new rules uh, for voting and for the Voting Rights Act from the bench. So, so much for their pretend conservative or constitutional reading of the originalist plain text meaning of the Constitution. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Back in May, uh, at the end of the regular session of the Texas legislature, the Democrats walked out on the very last day of the session in order to deprive Republicans of the quorum needed to pass a radical voter suppression bill that would block a whole bunch of stuff used very successfully uh, last November to help voters vote at the polling place amid the pandemic. Texas uh, uh, election officials described the November election last year as, quote, smooth and secure. But the GOP lawmakers in the state attempted to pass a sweeping measure to eliminate many of the ways that voters, particularly in Democratic leaning Harris County, that's Houston, uh, the way that they voted last year and The Republicans in the state house attempted to do away with early Sunday voting when black churches lead souls to the polls programs to help folks vote. And uh, the uh, state Republicans introduced measures to make it easier for election results to be reversed at the whim of partisan officials. Democrats were able to block that legislation, however, with their walkout on the last day of the session back in May. But it may not be quite as easy to pull that off again during the 30-day special session that began late last week. Although, within the past hour, it looks like 
they are trying. Uh, According to the uh, Texas Tribune on Sunday, the second round of Texas voting bill, uh, Texas's uh, fight over the uh, voting bill kicked off with great haste over the weekend as Republicans worked to rapidly push through these new restrictions during this special session in an hours long overnight, several hours long overnight committee hearings, one in the House and one in the Senate. Just a few days into this 30 day special session, a Texas House committee voted early Sunday morning after an all night session to advance a revived GOP backed bill that would bring many, if not all, of the proposals that failed to pass in the spring. It would bring them back. A panel of Senate lawmakers followed suit later in the day. They followed a uh, that followed a lengthy public hearing on its own version of the legislation that played out Saturday afternoon into the night into Sunday. The votes from the Republican Majority Committee put the bills on a path to be voted on by the full chamber this week. That even as Republicans have already dulled at least some of the edges of the legislation that had failed in the spring. They dropped provisions to restrict Sunday voting hours and to make it easier for uh, officials to overturn election results. So there is that much that was already carried out by the Democrats walking out last May. But the bill's authors are still moving to ban drive through voting, 24-hour voting options, Both innovations introduced by Harris County last year with great success in November. The efforts to curb those practices uh, in a county, by the way, uh, with previously one of the lowest turnout rates in the nation. The uh, the effort is not to stop voter fraud, as Republicans suggest, because they have been unable to show that either of those two practices actually resulted in any fraud last year. So it's not to it's not to stop voter fraud. It's to stop voting, you know, by certain types of voters. That's all this is about. And the Republicans aren't even much pretending anymore. They're saying, well, there may not have been any fraud, but there could have been, and people fear there might have been. So that's enough to stop voting rights for hundreds of thousands of voters across the state, particularly in uh, minority Democratic-leaning areas like Harris County. And, of course, what we really know about this is that the reason they're doing this is because black and brown voters used all of these new voter methods. So now it's an emergency that they must stop it. They must stop it. Hi, Desi Doyen. (laughs) Good to see you. Uh, So this new bill... Uh, You know, we'll also make it easier, by the way, for partisan poll watchers to obstruct the voting process at the polling place. It will uh, prohibit local election officials from proactively distributing applications to request mail-in ballots. That will now be illegal to do, to even send out a forum saying, hey, you're eligible to vote by mail if you'd like. Fill this out, send it in, and we'll give you one. And the measures in both chambers also include language to further restrict the state's voting by mail rules, including new ID requirements for absentee voters. Mind you, previously, Republicans only instituted draconian ID restrictions at the polling place because Republicans were more likely than Democrats to vote by mail. But now the Democrats have begun to outnumber absentee voters. Republicans all over the country are suddenly adopting all sorts of ID restrictions for vote by mail and even for requesting absentee ballots in the first place. 
Over the weekend in Texas, nearly 300 people signed up to testify on this legislation in these hearings that began on Saturday, stretching into the early Sunday morning hours. Uh, 407 out of 484 members of the public were in opposition to the bill, according to the committee's registration figures. Democrats, civil rights groups and voting rights advocates echoed each other in their concern that the legislation would harm access to voting, particularly for marginalized voters, while Republicans pitched their voting bills as part of an effort to bolster the security of Texas elections, even though, as usual, they had absolutely no evidence of widespread fraud that would have been uh, that would have been prevented by these restrictions in the state that Donald Trump already handily won last year, if by a smaller margin than most Republicans have won the state in recent years. State Rep. John Busey of Austin charged, quote, we are going to make it harder for communities of color, for individuals with disabilities, for individuals where English is not their primary language and for seniors to vote and to have access to the ballot box, even though the elections were a resounding success last year, he said. So with federal legislation to protect voting rights currently blocked in the Senate, by a GOP filibuster and the intransigence of West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin and Arizona Dem- Arizona's Democratic Senator Kirsten Cinema uh, to reform the filibuster to allow passage of legislation that might have some chance of protecting the constitutional rights. Uh, and, you know, to pass that with a simple majority vote if they were willing to reform the filibuster. With that in mind, and with the Supreme Court further gutting the Voting Rights Act that might have prevented the very measures that Texas Republicans are now hoping to jam through this special session, well, Texas Democrats have been begging for help from Washington, D.C., from Congress. And according to First NBC earlier today, they broke the news on uh, earlier on Monday, there is now a plan by Texas Democrats to try to block the Texas bills yet again with yet another walkout. And if they can pull it off, maybe they'll succeed. Late breaking news today within the past hour, just before we go on air, Desi Doyen uh, reports that uh, your friends from Texas, your Democratic friends in uh, in the state legislature, looks like that process is now underway. The Texas Democrats are Walking out. Well, good for them. Again. I think that's a good idea. They don't have many levers left. Nope. So they got to pull the ones we, they got. We will see if this one uh, works. At least uh, NBC had reported earlier in the day that at least 58 Democratic members of the state House of Representatives were expecting to bolt from Austin on Monday to try to block this from moving forward. This is akin to what Democrats did back in 2003. Uh, when they also walked out of the session, hoping to paralyze the uh, chamber. In that case, it was for a redistricting bill that uh, Tom DeLay was pushing through, sort of a mid-session uh, a redistricting bill down there in Texas. The majority of the members of the Democratic members were planning to fly to Washington, D.C. on two private jets chartered for the occasion and use the time there to rally support for federal voting uh, legislation since they are so outnumbered down in Texas that there's little that they can do. 
They risk arrest in taking flight. Under the Texas Constitution, the legislature requires a quorum of two-thirds of lawmakers be present to conduct any state business in either chamber. Absent lawmakers can be legally compelled to return to the Capitol by state officials. And uh, the source told NBC at the time that Democrats were expecting state Republicans to ask the, de- uh, the Department of Public Safety to, in fact, track them down and drag them back to the Capitol. So they already had this one uh, successful walkout in May, but that was the last day of the session. So as long as they ran out that clock, there was no danger of them being forced back. But that victory is likely to be short lived Uh, to block the current legislation. The Democrats would have to stay away for, well, almost 30 days through the end of the special session. Uh, This is a very rare thing to happen. Uh, As I said, it happened back in May of 2003, and uh, Democrats had left the state for weeks. They uh, fled to New Mexico at the time before eventually a defector reinstated the quorum and the redistricting plan eventually passed the Texas Senate. Well, now, today, the New York Times is reporting this breaking news in the past hour. Texas Democrats have now fled the state and are now heading to Washington to draw attention to what they portray as damaging as a damaging assault on the right to cast a ballot. The group left Austin in mid-afternoon on a pair of chartered flights, as NBC had uh, suggested they would. They are scheduled to arrive in D.C. by early evening. An official uh, involved with the effort said that more than 51 of the 67 State House Democrats had signed on. This uh, move also lays bare their very limited options in the legislature. This is pretty much all they have to do. Parliamentary Procedures and efforts to add amendments can delay the process, but it cannot derail it. And leaving the state to prevent a quorum, according to Republicans, will ultimately fail as well. That, again, according to Republicans, uh, Representative Briscoe Kane of Houston, uh, who chairs the House Elections Committee, said the Democrats' departure from the state, quote, slows things down, but would not prevent Republicans from ultimately passing the GOP-backed voter overhaul bill in the 30-day special session. Kane said it's just delaying the inevitable, describing the Democrats' move as political theater. Well, we will now see if uh, if the lawmakers... Uh, would have remained in the state of Texas, state law enforcement officials, including the Texas Rangers, could have found them, somehow rounded them up and brought them back to the state house for votes. But there was no indication from Republicans on Monday that they would be pursuing that course of action, at least not now. As I say, this is all broken within uh, just the past hour or so. But some Republican members suggest that uh, Democrats were abdicating their responsibility by leaving the state in the first place. I would say they are carrying out their responsibility by leaving the state and protecting democracy, because isn't that what lawmakers are supposed to be doing in a representative democracy, for crying out loud? All eyes are now on Texas at this hour, and I suspect our eyes will uh, stay there as well throughout the coming days as all of this plays out. Meanwhile, back here in California, the GOP is also attempting to game the electoral system any way they can, in this case, by forcing a recall election of the state's popular first-term Democratic governor. 
Gavin Newsom. Some are describing the recall effort as the only way that Republicans can possibly win any statewide elections anymore out here in the Golden State. Uh, or at least they hope to, and others, including Bradblog.com's own legal analyst, Ernie Canning, is calling for reforms to the 110-year-old gubernatorial recall process, which he argues is now being abused by state Republicans. He'll join us momentarily to discuss that argument and his, I think, rather sensible reform suggestions for the uh, state recall in advance of what is now a September 14 recall election <clears throat> for um, for Governor uh, Gavin Newsom here in uh, in California, if I have time later on, I don't know if I will at this point. But if I do, uh, will I was going to try to open the lines. You can write down the phone number 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK to get some thoughts from our California listeners on this latest attempt to remove Newsom through what they hope will be a low turnout election in September, akin to the one in 2003 that removed the Democratic Governor Gray Davis at the time in order to uh, replace him then with Republican Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. But there are real problems, real ones, <clears throat> not this made-up nonsense from Republicans calling for uh, yet another recall. By the way, Gavin Newsom is up for re-election next year already. But there are me real problems that uh, Newsom is now being forced to deal with above and beyond the political machinations of state Republicans who hope to remove him in about a month and a half. Firefighters are working in searing heat right now, uh, as they were all weekend long, struggling to contain the largest wildfire in California this year, while state power operators urged people to conserve energy. After a huge wildfire in neighboring Oregon has disrupted the flow of electricity from three major transmission lines, a large swath of the West is baking and continuing to bake from over the weekend in triple digit temperatures that were expected to continue into the start of the work week. The California independent system operator that manages the state's power asked consumers to conserve as much electricity as possible right now. To avoid any outages, California and other parts of the West are sinking deeper and deeper into drought, and that has sent fire danger sky high in many areas of the state uh, of California and other states, including in Arizona, where a small plane crashed Saturday during a survey of a wildfire in Mojave County killing both crew members of, uh, of, that, uh, of that flight. In Oregon, the bootleg fire exploded to 224 square miles, racing through heavy timber in the fremont Winema National Forest near the uh, Klamath County town of Sprague River. The fire disrupted service on three transmission lines, providing up to 5,500 megawatts of electricity to neighboring California. The largest wildfire of the year here in California is now raging near the border with Nevada, the Beckwith Complex fire, a combination of two lightning-caused blazes burning north of, uh, north of Lake Tahoe. That fire grew by a third on Sunday to 134 square miles, with firefighters working in temperatures topping 100 degrees Fahrenheit. They were able to gain some ground on that fire. They doubled containment to just over 20 percent. 
A wildfire in southeast Washington grew to almost 60 square miles. In Idaho, Governor Brad Little, a Republican, declared a wildfire emergency there on Friday and mobilized the state's National Guard to help fight it after lightning storms uh, sparked uh, fires across the drought-stricken region. Power concerns now come on top of the drought concerns that already led California's Governor Newsom to take action last week, asking residents in an effort that echoed conservation efforts from our previous extreme drought just about five years ago, all of which, uh, both the fires and the drought and now extreme power consumption in the middle of power loss because of the fires, all are made worse by man-made climate change. Here's Newsom last week uh, talking about exactly that and asking residents to voluntarily conserve water before the new power problems were made worse by the wildfires over the weekend. This is jaw-dropping. Those are the effects of climate change. It's here. It's real. It's human-induced. The impacts, the acute impacts are happening decades before even the scientists have predicted. Uh, these conditions are familiar uh, to many Californians. As a consequence, uh, we have conservation uh, as a way of life as it relates to being more efficient and more effective in terms of our use and utilization uh, and distribution of water resources. However, uh, conditions are such they continue to devolve and there is an additional uh, order. We are also signing today an executive order. That executive order specifically will lay out um, a framework to encourage voluntary water uh, conservation efforts in the state of California. I want to underscore voluntary water conservation here in the state of California. Uh, we're hopeful uh, that people will take that mindset that we brought into. The people of the state of California will take that mindset they brought into the last drought and extend that forward uh, with a 15 percent voluntary reduction, not only on residences, but industrial, commercial operations and agricultural operations. That was uh, Governor Gavin Newsom of California last week saying, hey, pretty please, can we uh, try to uh, pull back our use of water by 15 percent? Or we're not going to make it through this summer at this point. And that was before uh, the electricity crisis, thanks to the fires that knocked out the uh, transmission lines. Uh, all of this, as record temperatures continue to broil western states, uh, climate journalist Andrew Friedman, uh, no relation, spelled differently, but a very good journalist. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, at Axios, he's reporting today, and uh, Des, I suspect you'll pick up some of this on our Green News report coming up on tomorrow's broadcast. But we are seeing, for example, uh, Stovepipe Wells, California, on Sunday set the all-time record for the warmest daily low temperature ever recorded. That means at night it's not cooling down in many places, which uh, I know, Des, you've talked about over the years. That's one of the uh, the killer aspects of these heat waves when it just never cools down overnight in, in places, many places that don't have uh, air conditioning out here in the West. Yes, it is literally the reason why we have such uh, an increase in uh, extreme heat deaths. Uh, heat deaths are the heat is the number one cause of death from weather related extremes in the United States. Mm. People, their bodies can't cool down when the overnight temperatures are that high. And yes, uh, the increase in overnight temperatures has been seen across the world. And that is definitely a sign of the fingerprint of man. Man-made climate change. The uh, warmest daily low temperature ever recorded for the U.S. on Sunday, 107.7 degrees Fahrenheit. Overnight. 
Meanwhile, at La- Las Vegas McCarran International Airport, uh, the all-time highest temperature was tied at 117 on uh, on Saturday. Uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, its all-time high temperature uh, was set uh, just uh, a few days prior at 107 degrees. And now we are seeing hundreds of thousands of acres uh, ablaze across the West. So that's just some of what California, you know, needs their governor right now to be dealing with. That amid the uh, the pandemic, which, of course, continues that even as Republicans in the state are forcing a recall of the governor amid all of this. And it is now scheduled for September amid record heat, wildfires, drought a power emergency, a pandemic, none of which, by the way, was caused by the Democrat, much of which can be attributed to the worsening effect of man-made climate change, which Republicans have opposed doing anything about for decades now, even as the worst effects of that fossil fuel industry folly are now just beginning to reveal reveal themselves in very real time. But the recall is happening anyway. So let's take a quick break. We will come back and talk about that with attorney and Brad Blog contributor Ernie Canning, who has a few ideas about how the process can be sensibly reformed or even eliminated, although not before September 14th, when this uh, next stupid election is coming up. And if time allows, your calls at 818-985-5735. That is all ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. California, here I come, right back where I started from. Yeah. Where bowers of flowers. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Oh boy, just trying to keep up with it all. Uh, writing at Bradblog.com late last week, longtime legal analyst and contributor Ernie Canning offered a fascinating history of the state's more than 100-year-old recall process for state governors. I didn't know anything about this. Uh, he cited the idiom that, uh, quote, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Uh, in the article, he argues that uh, that was precisely the case when voters established the gubernatorial recall via statewide ballot initiative on October 10 of 1911. At the time, he explains, the process was the brainchild of Hiram Johnson, an immensely popular Republican governor who switched to the Progressive Party after taking office. His progressive bona fides were already on display during his uh, January 13, 1911 inaugural address when he declared, quote, the first duty that is mine to perform is to eliminate every private interest from the government and to make the public service of the state responsive solely to the people. 
Now there's a 100-year-old idea whose time has come and seemingly gone long ago. Later that year, in a letter to former President Theodore Roosevelt, Johnson expressed his dismay over then-Republican President William Howard Taft's lack of humanity and Taft's belief that government existed only to benefit big business. And he sought to persuade Teddy Roosevelt at the time to run against Taft on the progressive or bull moose party ticket, which he eventually did in 1912, with Johnson then nominated as his VP. Taft was defeated that year, but it was by Democrat Woodrow Wilson. But back in California, Kenning explains, uh, as envisioned by Johnson, California's recall procedures would serve as a form of bottom-up direct democracy that would act as a check against the corporate influence of corporate wealth and power, which was then being exerted in the Golden State by the Southern Pacific Railroad. In the ensuing years after passage of the recall process, Canning notes, the process has failed to live up to Governor Johnson's lofty expectations— According to Ballotpedia, since 1911, there have been 55 attempts to recall a sitting California governor. The only successful campaign was in 2003 when voters recalled then-Governor Gray Davis. The Davis recall was a purely partisan affair, Canning accurately argues, made possible only at the time because the wealthy right-wing Republican congressman Darrell Issa invested $1.7 million of his own money to fund a GOP-engineered professional signature-gathering campaign. That was coupled politically with a disinformation campaign regarding power outages in the Golden State that had been engineered at the time by the infamous corrupt and thankfully now defunct Texas-based energy company by the name of Enron. Now, another Democratic California governor is facing a recall election after another professionally funded and run effort to oust the otherwise popular progressive Democratic governor, Newsom. Ostensibly, the GOP effort is in response to his handling of the coronavirus and restrictions imposed on the state over the past year, which, by the way, has now resulted in California having one of, if not the lowest infection and death rates in the nation. So, yeah, no wonder you need to remove him. That was one of the reasons. The other was what Republicans have described as an out-of-control state budget. But over the last months, last three months, according to the uh, Public Policy Institute of California, Newsom's approval on handling COVID is up 11 points. The view that the state is in a recession is down 21 points. Californians expecting good times economically in the U.S. That is also up 11 points. And the belief that the worst of the coronavirus is behind us, well, that is up 31 points since January in the state. Today, a record low 36 percent view the state budget situation as any kind of problem at all. In May, Newsom's approval rating, according to the same polling, was at 54 percent, with 57 percent of likely voters saying that they would vote to retain Newsom this year. Contrast that with the support for the removal effort on the Republican side, where back in May, just 40 percent of likely voters wanted to remove the governor. That was the same as the 40 percent who wanted to do so in March. 
similar to the 38 percent who did not vote for Newsom in the first place back in 2018. And more recent polling has found that support for the recall has dropped now to 36 percent. As noted, Newsom is otherwise up for re-election anyway next year. And contrast all of that with the 2003 survey numbers in California, when 47 percent of likely voters said that things would get better if California's then-Democratic governor was removed from office. But today, when asked that same question about what would happen if Newsom was recalled, just 29 percent say that things would get better. At this point, it would be shocking if the recall succeeded, said GOP consultant Rob Stutzman, who served as former Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger's communication director. He told CNBC on Sunday that COVID has waned, the economy is resurging, and there are far more Democrats than Republicans in this state that will vote in favor of him. He says, I think Newsom should be in good shape. I say... Don't count your chickens, especially if everyone in this state thinks Newsom is going to just be in fine shape. Expect surprises, at least plan for them. This year, Canning observes at the Brad blog that the gubernatorial recall against Newsom is being wielded as an anti-democracy cudgel by an increasingly authoritarian Republican Party. He says it is long overdue time that the recall process that could cost as much as $400 million to California taxpayers be reformed uh, or even eliminated entirely. Joining us now to discuss some of what he describes as abuse of the process by the Republican Party and what I see as some very good common-sense ideas for reform of the 110-year-old recall process in the Golden State is, of course, Ernest A. Canning. He's, a, as noted, he's a, a Bradblog.com's long-toiling legal analyst and contributor and as a now-retired attorney and Vietnam vet. He also served during the 2016 presidential campaign as a senior advisor to Veterans for Bernie. Oh, Mr. Canning, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you, Brad. Uh, hey, listen, uh, appreciate your uh, hanging on longer than expected uh, due to that news out of Texas, which I think at least is uh, good news for now. Uh, sorry about that, the uh, the delay there, and, and that we may have to be a bit shorter here than planned. I'll point folks to your article at bradblog.com if necessary. But before we get to what I see as some very smart ideas for reforming the California recall process, Ernie, uh, you argue in your piece that the GOP recall uh, is, quote, an abuse of the recall process. Why? They followed the rules. They gathered enough signatures to get a recall on the ballot. How is that an abuse of the system, of the process? Well, if you look, I'm measuring abuse by what um, uh, Horace Johnson originally envisioned in, in passing the recall. It mm -hmm. was supposed to be a form of direct democracy to check, uh, be a check on uh, uh, the corruption, corrupting influence of, of corporate wealth and power. Mm -hmm. It's become just the opposite. It's become the tool of anti-democratic forces that um, that basically, uh, uh, in this case, is a purely partisan uh, a tool being wielded in order to by people who know that they cannot win mm -hmm. a general election. Uh, uh, and the only possible way that Republicans can win a statewide election, they haven't, they haven't won since uh, uh, since 2006, and less than one in four 
California registered voters are registered Republicans. Mm -hmm. They cannot win a statewide election unless it's a low turnout uh, special election, in this case, a recall election. Mm -hmm. And that's their, their basic strategy. That is a complete perversion of what the recall process was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, and and do you share my concerns, Ernie? I know a lot of people are saying, oh, there's no way uh, Newsom is popular. Uh, there's no way he's going to lose in this recall. I'm, you know, I hope that's correct uh, because there's a regular election next year. They can have it out with real candidates. But I'm not quite as uh, comfortable about all of this as um, some of the Democrats seem to be. Do you share that concern? I was almost reluctant to put the poll numbers into my piece for that precise reason. The only poll that counts is the one that's going to be on September 14th, I believe it is, is the recall date. And I think that it is, particularly with this election, it's critical that everyone who is disgusted by this recall show up and vote. That's that's the only, you've got it. it, it needs to not only be defeated, but it needs to be defeated by large numbers. And, mm. and the fact is that, uh, uh, that uh, the, the numbers, if, if Californians just show up and vote, this recall will go down. But if you don't show up, that's that's why the Republic, what the Republicans are banking on mm-hmm. is that you won't show up. And so the question it's, it's is up to each individual. And I do believe that they're going to continue with the process as they began last year, as far as mailing out ballots to uh, to registered voters. Something that, of course, Republicans oppose because that means more people vote. Uh, but as far as the recall process goes, uh, Ernie Canning. Um, you offer three recommended reforms for the uh, for the California recall process, arguing that these reforms should be put in place or, or I'm sorry, should be put before voters, California voters on next year's general election ballot in 2022. And frankly, I think all three uh, suggested reforms make some sense. Let, let's step through them very quickly. This one, I think, on its own would probably curb the use of the recall for uh, only the most egregious uh, you know, versus purely political reasons, uh, you recommend replacement by the lieutenant governor when a governor is removed. Currently, there are two questions on a recall ballot. Should the governor be removed? And if that uh, first question gets a majority of the vote, the uh, second question is then tallied, which is who should replace him or her? Um and, uh, you know, I think back in 2003, there was, I don't know, scores, at least 60 and maybe hundreds of, of people who were on the ballot. I think it was close to 400. 400 uh, were and, on the ballot. And right now, there, there are, the, when I checked a week ago, yeah. the Secretary of State's website, yeah. uh, as of a week ago, there were 56 individuals who had filed uh, statements of intent to, to run on the alternative uh, ballot, you know, should... should uh, uh, Davis be recalled. And one of the problems with this is... Newsom. Newsom be recalled. Davis, Davis was I mean, already yeah, recalled. Newsom yeah. recalled. Uh, one of the problems with this, yeah. Brad, is that, is that it is so difficult and bur- cumbersome because everybody who votes no on the recall is probably going to have to wade through 56 names, most of whom they have no idea who they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a Green Party candidate on there, maybe a way to, to, tell, uh, to signal the Republicans to vote for the Green Party guy to say, hey, if, if I'm going to vote no on this, but if you did win, 
I was going to give you somebody to the left of Newsom. Yeah, and the Democrats have chosen not to put anybody up uh, on that second question. Uh, some Democrats are on there. Some Democrats are named anyway. Well, that's... I guess good. But anyway, back to your reforms, Ernie. Uh, so you suggest that instead of doing it that way, simply have replacement. If the governor is recalled, simply replace the governor with the lieutenant governor. Uh, in this case, uh, it's a it's California's lieutenant governor, Eleni Kunalakis. Um, but no matter who it is, it's it's uh, the governor and the lieutenant governor are voted on uh, separately. She happens to be a Democrat here, and uh, if they, you know, chose to replace a governor with the lieutenant governor, that might make some sense. Um, has that come up as a uh, as a discussion point uh, for possible reform? That that seems like common sense to me. Well, it, it does, and it, the only thing I've been able to find of a of an attempt to to. Uh, uh, revise the recalls, uh, gubernatorial recall. I think it's recalled generally mm -hmm. was a bill that was proposed by, uh, two Democrats, uh, SB uh, 663 that would allow the, uh, people of the re, uh, uh, uh that oppose the recall mm -hmm. to, uh, contact the sign petition signers directly. Right now it's only the election officials are entitled to know who was on, on the list. The problem I have with that is you could get into a whole thing of arguing back and forth. I don't see that as a real reform. I think that that, that uh, it you can take the politicization of the recall process out simply by saying automatically the lieutenant governor is replacement. Sure, because and then you avoid the circus we had in, in 2003. Too. Yeah, I, I think it would cut the knees out from under the effort. We would go back to only uh, recalling for the most egregious circumstances, because if Republicans knew that the governor was just going to be replaced by another Democrat, it seems uh, difficult to believe they would go to all of this effort and all of this money that has to be spent uh, for this process to gather enough signatures to get the recall on the ballot in the first place. And that takes us to uh, very quickly to your second reform suggestion, eliminate paid signature gathering. Now, everything else uh, that is on the state ballot in California is done at this point when we put state initiatives and so forth. That's all done with professional, uh, uh, you know, paid signature gathering operations. Uh, why should that be taken away here? And could you take it away only for recalls, but leave it for everything else for the ballot initiative process? I, I, I would take it away for, for all of them. You know, it's interesting when you talk about the initiative process. Mm -hmm. That was also the brainchild of, of Hiram Johnson. Mm. And it was another direct democracy check on corporate wealth and power. And what's happened in, in the initiative process, uh, for example, last year, you had uh, uh, Lyft and Uber uh, uh, marshal the, use this whole process first to get it on the ballot with paid signatures, and then spending millions of dollars on a deceptive campaign. They spent 10 times as much as the, as the opponents to basically change it so they could escape the impact of our labor law by classifying their drivers as employees. And so, uh, uh, and Washington Post did an article on that about how they, uh, uh, the p people felt uh, they had been deceived and they were sorry they had voted for that. Measure. Well, I would love to, I would love to see some reforms to uh, keep these ballot initiatives from being quite as deceptive as they are. But I don't know how, you know, California is a huge state. I don't know how you come up with, you know, m more than a million signatures needed in the case of uh, what is it? I think it's 1.7 million or something like that needed to get a, a, a recall on the ballot. 
I'm not sure there is uh, any call of, of the governor on the ballot. Yeah. It's, it's basically 12 percent of the total number of mm-hmm. votes cast for that office. And I think that that if you're going to deal with direct democracy, doesn't you know that's why we're not Athens. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but direct it, it it should be intended to be uh, uh, difficult, and it should only be used you know by a solid grassroots campaign where where people get totally behind it. I think the whole problem with our politics is the issuance of money, and as long as you can pay signature gatherers, the people that are, have the distinct advantage are the wealthy and the powerful. So I have a real problem with paid signature gathering for that reason. I hear you, and I just don't know how you get anything on the ballot otherwise. By the way, and I don't know if we'll have time here, but my phone number, if you want to ring in on any of these things, 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. If uh, California listeners want to ring in, we'll see if we have time. Very quickly, uh, Ernie, uh, you note that under uh, Article 2, Section 14 of the Golden State Constitution, a recall is initiated by delivering to the Secretary of State a petition alleging the reasons for the recall. However, the sufficiency of the reason is not reviewable. In other words, I guess they can recall for any reason they feel like recalling. You suggest there should be a limit on the reasons for recalls. So, all right, I'll bite. Uh, what, what would those limits, uh, what would you limit that to and why? Well, in my opinion, it should be limited to reasons like corruption, nepotism, and what we in the state bar call crimes of moral ter- turpitude, which would be mm-hmm. uh, if you were convicted of a crime of violence, theft, or fraud. And I would add to that if you, if you were involved in and there's solid evidence of sexual harassment mm-hmm. of your staff, that sort of thing. I think that those are valid reasons for recalling a governor and why in some states like New York, they probably people wish they did have a recall. Uh, you know, when you have a governor that's been charged with multiple counts of sexual harassment and with the, uh, and with the, the issue of corruption involving, uh, uh, the, the nursing homes, uh, and, and concealing the, mm-hmm. this is all alleged, but right. concealing, uh, uh, the number of people that were being, uh, uh, contracting COVID in the nursing home. Right. And they if have something like that. It's a valid reason for going after somebody, but not simply because you can't win an election, uh, in a general election because everybody, nobody wants Republicans. Mm-hmm. They, you know, it, let's face it. The Republican party right now, uh, 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 the only thing they have to offer ordinary citizens is is poverty and a premature death, either by reason of a, a mass shooter's gun because they because they want to they insist on the freedom to uh, uh, to carry an assault rifle or uh, uh, a, a deadly virus because they insist on the freedom not to wear a mask. So, gotcha. You know, it's, it's, yeah. you know they, they don't really have anything to offer ordinary citizens. That's why less than one in four are registered Republicans in California. Well, you know, I'm still uh, and you talk about in your piece, uh, you know, about the pros and cons of eliminating the recall process entirely. And, and obviously one of those cons is you get a governor like Andrew Cuomo, uh, who really should be. Uh, arguably should be removed uh, from office, and there's no way to do it in New York. Here, we have a way to do it, but as you suggest, Ernie Canning, that process is 
uh, arguably being abused. I'll point folks to brandblog.com to get more information on uh, on your call for these reforms, which I think are, are common sense reforms. Brandblog.com, the article is, Now may be a good time to reform or eliminate California's gubernatorial recall system. GOP abuse of the time-honored progressive process is wearing thin. Ernie Canning, uh, thank you very much for uh, for writing this article, coming on, talking with us about it. Uh, folks can also find you on the Twitters at can, C-A-N-N, the number four, I-N-G. So it's Canning with the number four right in the middle for reasons that I've never understood. Ernie Canning, always great speaking with you, my friend. Uh, thank you. We will do it again soon. My pleasure, amigo. All right. Let's take a quick break. And if we have time, I'll come back with uh, some of your quick calls uh, on, well, whatever you want to talk about in the three or four minutes we have left. 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. As uh, Democrats uh, are fighting like hell for uh, democracy down in Texas after fleeing to try to prevent a new voter suppression bill in Texas, And Democrats out here are having to deal with Republicans undermining democracy itself with a stupid recall election, frankly. Uh, 818-985-KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like or even just a one-time-only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, live from California. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Unfortunately, we only have time for a call or two. And since it's been a while since we spoke to him, I'm not even going to keep him for last this time. Uh, Morris from Long Beach, you have been holding quite a while, my friend. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Hope you're doing well. Well, I'm doing fantastic, brother Brad. Thank you for asking me. Listen, I'm praying that the governor of Texas, uh, Governor Abbott, will go ahead and send out criminal referrals and arrest warrants for all them Democrats that left Texas. You know why? Why? Because if he can do that, I'll tell you why. If he can do that, then the select committee can do the same thing with respect to that investigation of the insurrection on January the 6th. Uh-huh. All right? It's a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. So if a state governor can do that, I guarantee you a federal select committee can do the same thing with respect to some kind of attack on its capital. What do you think, Brad? I'll take your comments off the air. All right. Thank you, brother. I think what he's what Moore's talking about there is the fact that this select committee that Nancy Pelosi uh, has set up, she wanted to have a bipartisan uh, independent commission looking at the January 6th attack, deadly attack on the U.S. Capitol, insult, incited by uh, by Donald Trump. 
the Republicans agreed to one, and then they changed their mind and they undermined the whole thing. So she's had to set up a committee that's going to be a partisan committee, which means instead of both parties sharing uh, subpoena power, the Democrats can now subpoena anyone they want. And they're even talking about subpoenaing Donald Trump. Do you think Donald Trump will show up? If he doesn't show up, do you think the uh, Democrats will uh, take any uh, advice from what the governor of Texas may do and start sending out federal officials, in this case, federal law enforcement, to drag Donald Trump in to testify in Congress? That could be fun. That would be an interesting spectacle. (laughs) Like we need more spectacles at this point. Morris is in favor. Let me see. Do I have time for one more very quick? Jeff in Santa Barbara. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Oh, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my uh, comment has to do with the voting uh, issue as well. I'd just like to have people uh, understand that uh, the Exxon uh, lobbyists have mentioned the uh, influence they have had over uh, Mansion and Cinema. Mm-hmm and also the influence that the National Chamber of Commerce has had by donating a lot of money to their campaign funds. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we covered that on um, Green News Report late last week, I think. Was that our Yes, our, it was. Our last one. They're caught on tape admitting it, admitting that they have been spending millions of dollars to lie about climate change at ExxonMobil for years. I'm sorry, Jeff, I got to get out. I do appreciate the call. Uh, apologies to everyone else. I did not have time for... But we will be back again tomorrow if the uh, radio gods are with us. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest, uh, Ernie Canning of Brad Blog, to my board operator today, Federico Garcia, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. You can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. I will see you there until we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.